Hello, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. The message you're about to hear, if diligently applied, will absolutely change your life. We're praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, thereby allowing the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Now let's join the service already in progress with Pastor West. Everybody blessed? I'm glad that you're here today. Those of you watching by Facebook, we're glad that you're tuning in with us. And we're going to get right into the Word. And, and the, you know, it's the Word that changes our life. Is that right? Yeah. You know, the, in the book of uh, uh, Psalms, it says that the, the Word of God is settled forever. So that means God doesn't change His mind and God doesn't have to think up something brand new. According to what's going on in the world, in our life, he, God's never been taken by surprise by anything. So he's planned everything in advance. So everything's turning out amazing. Y'all say it with me. Everything's turning out amazing. If you have your Bible, if you will, go to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, yesterday I was, uh, while you're going there, Ephesians chapter 1, I'm sorry, it's on page 1924. If you have a Bible just like mine. If not, do the best you can. But anyway, <clears throat> I was watching, uh, I was saying, I wonder what ESPN is doing now because there's no sports being played. And I went over there and I'm just prefacing this to tell you uh, why we're ministering, what we're ministering today. Uh, the way I the way I get things is probably like most ministers don't. Uh, generally, this is 90% of the time. I, I'm, I'm usually doing the most unspiritual things in the world. Like cutting grass, brushing my teeth, shaving, showering, you know, kind of when your brain goes in neutral. And mine, you know, I know some of y'all may think mine, mine stays there, but it doesn't always. But, you know, I'm just talking when you're doing things that you don't have to be engaged with a lot of processing. So I said, I wonder what ESPN is doing now. I mean, there's, there's no sports. So I went over there and man, they were, they had dug into the archives. And I was watching, uh, I don't know if y'all, anybody y'all saw it, Muhammad Ali. Fighting Joe Frazier. Now that's been a minute. <laughs> that's been a minute. And I, I never watched those fights and, uh, I guess they fought three times and this was the third, I guess this is the one out of three. I, and, uh, I didn't view all of it, but at, while he was, in, and they were near the end and both of them, you could tell was, uh, they were about at the end of the rope. And, uh, but Muhammad Ali actually won the third one. And uh, <clears throat> the part of what the, the guy, what he would call commentator, whatever it is, he was talking about how Ali would make a certain move. And it was kind of a, I don't know what you'd call it, but it, it was kind of a, a false move. And Frazier would go for it. And when he went for it, he, you know, he said he kept on getting him in the bread basket. Or, you know, he'd get him in the jaw. <clears throat> you ever notice how boxers, you know, when they're boxing, they, you know, they go for the midsection. You know why they go for the midsection, don't you? I mean, they're, they're going right there, what you call it, you know, the bread basket. And, uh, cause it cuts off your oxygen, right? And, uh, they're already winded, uh, from that type of, uh, you know, strenuous activity. They're already very winded. So I want to tell you everything, you know, for anything to sustain life, all of us, 
you know, none of us in this building, we, we all have one thing in common. We may not all like spaghetti or pizza or hamburgers or, or anything like that, but, uh, or we might all, I don't know, but, I, but everyone does require oxygen to live. Every animal that God created requires oxygen, whether above land or in the sea, they have to have oxygen. Is that right? And do you know that, did you know that for fear to live, it has to be, it has to have a form of oxygen? Do you know for a virus or a bacteria to live in a body, it has to have a form of fuel or oxygen? So what we, we want to do this morning is we're going to kind of deplete, not kind of, we're going to deplete and diffuse the oxygen that's running rampant in our nation, uh, and in the world and concerning this whole, uh, pandemic that's, uh, has everyone, you know, in kind of their, their lives, uh, in uproar, changed, uh, no doubt. It, it, it's different in it. It's just, it's just a whole lot different. And, uh, <clears throat> so I was getting, I was watching Ali do this and all of a sudden here it came. And, uh, and, and this is how, this is just how I, I get what I get. I, I have always heard inside me like preaching, like a sermon. Like main points, and that's how it comes to me. And when that happens, um, I know that I know to uh, start writing down. So I went uh, went into the room there, and I began to write six or seven pages of notes. So, <clears throat> or is it seventy? So I won't give you all seventy today. But anyway, <laughs> I'll give you the pertinent ones. How about that? Amen. They say, uh, "Blessed is he who preaches shorter, for he may be invited back." I don't know. But Ephesians chapter 1, this is the Apostle Paul. And he was praying for the church at Ephesus. And this is the church today of Jemison or wherever you're from. Uh, it's a New Testament prayer, so it could still be prayed uh, for us today. And it's just as powerful today as it was then. But Paul prayed, and we'll start at verse 16, go to the end of the chapter. And Paul said, I cease not, and I'm, and I'm in the King James, I cease not to give thanks for you, make a mission you of my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward, who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So here <clears throat> we know that Christ is raised from the dead, and he's seated where at the right hand of God, and he's where he's in the heavenly places. And <clears throat> and then verse twenty one he says, Here he is in heavenly places, and that he is far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. The ch- and then uh, verse 23, of course, to join in the verse we just read, he says, gave him head to be over things all to the church, the church which is his body. You understand translators put it in by chapters and verses, but this is actually just a letter, wouldn't have had chapters and verses. So he said the church is his body, it's, we, so we, the church, are the body of Christ. We are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now I'm going to read the, the last uh, uh, two verses in the Amplified. 
uh, translation. He said, he's put all things under his feet and he has appointed him, Jesus, the universal and supreme head of the church. Parenthesis, this is a headship exercised throughout the what? The church. God exercises his dominion, his authority, and he exercises it not from heaven, but through the church. And we're the church, right? We know that again, verse 23, we'll enforce that, which is his body, and the body is the fullness of him. Him who? Christ, who fills all in all, for in his body lives the full measure of him. Do we know how powerful that is, what you're looking at? In the body of Christ lives the full measure of Christ, who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. Now, if you will go to Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll get started uh, this morning with uh, where I started um, yesterday. This was coming to me. And uh, we're going to talk out of uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And you understand this is, once again, a letter. Uh, It's not six letters. It's just one letter, but it's been divided by translators by chapters and verses. So I'm going to start at a place where Paul would not have started a letter. So uh, for sake of time, um, I just want you to understand, because verse 10 is where we're going to start, and it starts with the word finally. That's not how you start a letter, right? So Paul has said a lot of things up to what we call verse 10. So finally finally would be like in conclusion. So, But uh, we'll start there nonetheless today. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and be strong in the power of what? His might. Everybody say, I'm strong. I'm strong. Say, I'm strong in the Lord. I'm strong in the Lord. Say, I'm strong with His might. I'm strong with His might. Then he tells us to put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're going to verse, uh, uh, we're going to go to verse 17, all the way there, 12 to 17. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. He says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, he says, Stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I'll go one more verse. And Paul said, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We won't get all to it today, but uh, part of what I got uh, with uh, when I was watching this match with Ali and Joe Frazier, was uh, watching the technique that Mo, uh, Ali was using on Frazier, and he was leading him. In other words, you know, when boxers get really tired, you know, they'll just, and they need rest, what do they do? They, they put their hands up like this, don't they? And they, they protect their face, and they try to protect their midsection while, while they're getting a breather, while the opponent is trying to get in, you know, from side to side, but that's, the, that's one way to get a breather. The Lord said, he said this to me. Now, uh, the church, he wasn't 
he wasn't doing it in correction and he, and he was talking to me personally. He says, so you minister some things that brings comfort and peace in anxious times. He says, but now I need you to step it up a little bit. And I said, what do you, and I says, okay. He said, in other words, he said, the whole world is on lockdown and the whole, and, and even he said, even the mindset of the church uh, can be almost in, engulfed into that to where we're getting to the place to where we are, we are in a defensive position. And he said, I need my church on offense. I need my church on offense. Now, I don't mean this as criticism to anyone, to, to you or anyone, but as an observation, uh, and in, this is my observation, um, I will, I, I will complete 25 years pastoring in June and July, I'll start my 26th year. And, um, not happy about this, but I would say most Christians, that uh, that I know live in a defensive mode. Uh, only a few people live on the offense. And uh, if you think about sports, we have both, and they're both important. They're both needed. They're both necessary. But uh, you know, you're in sports. The he who has the most points wins, right? And usually, the offense is designed to score points. Now, I, I know in sports that analogy didn't work always because you know you can't score with the defense. But uh, in sports. But that's not how that we win this war is by playing defense. So uh, I'm not going to talk about the weapons, all of them. That's, that's not what, I, what the subject is here today. I'm just bringing this out of context. But uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 17 uh, lists six defensive armors. Uh, one of them is considered offense, but it could also be both. Uh, and, that, and so I'll just give you the six real quick. We read them. Number one is the girdle of truth. Number two is the breastplate of righteousness. Number three is the shoes of the preparation of the gospel. Number four is the shield of faith. Number five is the helmet of salvation. And number six is the sword of the spirit. So with the exception of the sword of the spirit, all these weapons are essentially are for protection or preservation or self-defense. Can you see that? Now, once again, we're not going to stop and teach on, on these. That's not our purpose today. But just to bring this into light, if you look at the weapons of our warfare, and he said our weapons are not carnal. In other words, they're not physical weapons. In other words, some, some translations, modern translations, say God did not give you weapons of, of guns and bullets and uh, missiles and this kind of stuff to, to wage your warfare with. He gave us spiritual weapons. Say with me, spiritual weapons. And so here are the spiritual weapons that he gave us to fight with, and they're all important, and we'll, we'll get to all of them. Uh, but he said, to go on the offense, he said, you need some offensive weapons. Now, <clears throat> even though my subject really is today, is the church, it, it's time for the church to take your place, and it would be about prayer with the Word of God. I'm not going to teach you on prayer, even though that's where I want us to get to, is the place maybe next time we come together. Taken, Paul said after he gave uh, all six of the of the spiritual weapons, he said in verse eighteen, praying always with all prayer. So prayer combined with the word of God is the most powerful offensive weapon that you and I can release within ourselves into into our lives, into our communities, into our nations. We, we, some of us met before church and we prayed for our nation and the nations of the world. And, uh, how did we do that? We did that through words and communication, but we did that 
through prayer. It's the most powerful force uh, on the planet. People who do not pray are not strong people. People who do not pray, have a prayer life do not know what's going on in the earth. God speaks and He communicates to those who pray. pray prayer is a dialogue. In other words, you speak and God speaks. If it's just you coming to God and say, God, I need, I need, I need, I got this, and we got a grocery list like you give Santa Claus, that's not really prayer. Now, God is interested in your needs, isn't he? Yes, he said he is. He said, let your request be made known to God, but that's not relationship. You know, with the Holy Spirit, we have something that is called, the, the Greek word is called, fellowship is called koinia. And that's, that's two coming together. That's you speaking. That'd be like in a, in a relationship, you know, whether... Um, you know, whether marriage or otherwise, where, where two people come and they spend time together and they come and fellowship one another. And uh, there's, there's, uh, in that relationship, it's built through a period of time of spending time one with another. And that's where we become familiar and know one another uh, through fellowship. And Jesus said, He said, My sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. And when, when you say, I don't know what God's doing or, or I, I don't know what to do. Well, that's just not the will of God that you don't know what to do. The Bible says this will of God that we do know his will. That, what he do, that we do know the plan of God for our life. What God is saying to us at this moment. You know, everything is not going to be in here in the Bible. Now, the Bible covers, covers all your life, but it's not going to give you specifics on everything. You know, and so you're going to, so we can take all the protective measures and certainly we, we do and we should, um, you know, washing your hands and doing all this and, you know, and social distancing and all that's fine and great. But that is not, a, that's not a hundred percent, is it? I mean, what you going to do when they, uh, when, when, uh, you order from something from Amazon and they throw it on your porch and you touch the cardboard and it hasn't been exposed to the air for six or eight hours. What are you going to do when you go around through the, the, the drive through and, and you don't know who back there fixed what and what they've done and what they hadn't done, right? You say, well, we, we, we just have to take a, um, we have to go to the store and get what we got to get. Well, do you know who stocked the shelves? I mean, I bet, I, I, I've been in the grocery stores, haven't you, some? Y'all, y'all do eat, right? <clears throat> Are they stocking the shelves with, uh, with gloves on? No, they, that, that didn't work that way. Um, and if you ever worked, and I have, I worked as a kid and a teenager in a grocery store. I've worked in every aspect of a grocery store. I've worked in the uh, produce department. And believe me, there's a lot of handling of food and this and it's packaged and it's wrapped. You know, when, when they get in fruit, uh, it's not packaged. They have their own packaging within the store. So that, that plastic wrap that goes over the tray that the broccoli's in, whatever hands are doing that. Amen. So you can take every little protective measure that you want to, and that, that's good, and we're, we're certainly advocating that, you, that, that, yes, do that. But we need to know that we're already protected. So <clears throat> we want to come from a place of living in defense, and it's time for the church, which is supposed to be a militant force, to go on the offense. Say offense. offense. So here are the six weapons, and... and um, uh, so the only one of the six that are offensive could be the sword, and, and the sword, if it was you know, used by a man, could, could extend no further than, than the reach of the reach of the arm. So there's nothing in the defensive equipment that enables us to deal with the strongholds. 
that he mentions in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, where he tells us to cast down thoughts and imaginations and every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. So to that, we want to move. We want to change our, our thinking. We want to change our posture in the sense of that I'm not living life today and I'm not living through this pandemic just on a defensive mode, but as a Christian, as a believer, knowing who I am and what I am and what I have and what Christ has done and what the Word has promised. Because like I said a while ago, the, word's been, the Word is settled in heaven. Now we've got to settle it on earth in our life. If you leave your Bible alone and you come back to it 45 years later and pick it back up, you know what? It's going to say the same thing it said 45 years when you laid it down. I got, I got Bibles that belong to my, my grandmother and my great-grandmother. And I'm telling you, they say the same thing that mine says. And when they were printed, you know, my great-grandmother many years ago, it, it says the same thing. So it doesn't do, it doesn't do as much good just to say, well, I believe the Bible. Hmm. Well, we, we, we may have knowledge of something, but knowledge of the God or knowledge of the word is not necessarily believing the word. Believing the word is taking it, saying, God said it, that settles it, it's mine, it's over. And then faith would have action, corresponding action to that. So <clears throat> we're moving there from offense to defense. So we want to deal with the, uh, the weapon of attack that will, uh, that will cast down Satan's strongholds. Um, it's a historical fact, historical fact that in um, any army on the face of the earth in our country or any other country has never won a war playing defense. Can't be done. I was uh, reading about a guy that um, won't get into all the particulars. This is just, I'm going to pull the headlines out of this story. But it's, uh, it's, it was in the early part of the 20th century and someone asked a French general, he said, in a war, what is the most important thing that you could tell us of the components of what causes one army to win over the other one? And the general said, uh, he says, well, I can tell you right now. He said, the only one that's going to win is the one that advances. He said, but when, you're, when they're both tired and exhausted, he said, uh, when they're both tired and exhausted and everybody wants to quit, and dying might even look like a better option. He said, the one that advances anyway. And uh, I, I, I would read some of General Patton's quotes, but I can't read it on there <laughs> without a bunch of bleep, beep, 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 beep. And, uh, <clears throat> but he would have the same analogy. So it's, it, it's just like that's how you deal with things sometimes is you have to take the posture. It's time for me to go on offense. If you went back to the box analogy once again, I mean, when, when the guy comes out there and he's throwing the punches and he's in a, I mean, and he's, you've seen it before when they're, when they're both just kind of resting, they're just moving around trying to kill some time and just throwing a little jab. But I'm talking about when somebody's going, really going after it and the other guy's like this. Well, when you, when you start throwing all the punches, that's when the enemy goes like this. Huh? So why are we living on the ropes? We're not supposed to be on the ropes, are we? We're put, we're, <clears throat> we need to have the kingdom of darkness on the ropes. Amen? So he said no army ever wins. No army has ever won a war uh, that did not advance. 
And here, uh, this was some of the French general's quotes. He said, the most powerful weapon on earth is the, is the human soul on fire. He also said, in whatever position you find yourself, determine first your objective. Two more quotes. He said, the will uh, to conquer is the first condition of victory. And lastly, he said, a battle won is a battle in which we will not acknowledge that we will lose. So we win the war, and Jesus already won the war for us. And as long as you know Satan keeps the church in defense, uh, that that type of mode, and then see his attack upon us and strategy is just going to continue to prevail. Uh, this thing, there's many theories of it, and we're not here just to talk about you know whether a nation planted it in our nation and all this and this political part and bring down. Uh, our nation or our administration and all that, and all that may be true, whatever, but even if it's true, the solution is still right here. No doubt, no nation can sustain if you, if you cripple it financially. Well, <clears throat> that's if, if we live in the world system. That's if we live in this system. God is the same God who split the Red Sea. Now, the United States is supposed to be the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. So I would like to see our president give a decree for the Red Sea to split. <laughs> Command the army to go out there and have us, our top generals do what Moses did. Well, <clears throat> without being in the plan of God, I don't think that's going to work. I would like to see a decree by Congress, get them all to agree on both sides. We command manna to fall from heaven to feed us. Doesn't happen that way, does it? So the God knows how to sustain people. His people was in the wilderness for 40 years. And he had water gushed out of rocks. For, you know, I mean, how does water come out of rocks? For two or three million people. Daily. Their food falls from heaven. This is the same God who's lives on the inside of us today. So our faith can't be in government, although God instituted the government. It can't be in man and what man can do. And, and uh, But we're certainly going to have to come to a place in us where we come to a place of belief and we come to a place of rest. We say, because after this is over, you, you understand there'll be other things? There'll be other things. I mean, as we get closer to the end of, of days, the, the, the latter days, I mean, you read Matthew, the 24th chapter, it tells you these things. Another Thessalonians tells you these things. There'll be signs of the ends of the time. One of them is pestilences, famines, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. So these things are going to continue to happen. So it's time to know what you know and believe what you believe. So we want to posture ourselves of going from self-protection and we want to go into an attack position. Now, the first time that the word church is used is used in Matthew 16, 18. And, uh, the, and this, is, uh, this is the first time you'll find it in the Bible in the New Testament where Jesus uh, used the word church, Matthew 16, 18. And Jesus was speaking to Peter and he said, Peter, he said, uh, you are Peter, a stone. And upon this rock, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What? The church. Well, the Bible says we, in Ephesians 1, we read that we are the church. We are the body of Christ. So he, he told Peter, told the disciples uh, concerning the church in his first reference, you are a stone, you are a rock. And upon this rock, upon this I will build, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now in the Living Bible, the, uh, an alternative translation uh it says it this way, and the gates of hell uh, will not be too strong for it. Now, I want you to pay close attention for the next few minutes because there might be a misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying about the gates of hell and about who's doing the prevailing. Now, the Greek word for hell is Hades. Okay? And the root word for Hades is invisible or unseen. Hades is, you know, hell. I believe heaven's a real place. Of course, I believe. I know hell's a real place. It is called Hades. He says, but the the root word I looked it up for Hades is invisible or unseen. So hell or Hades is the unseen world of Satan's kingdom. And Jesus said, uh, and we quoted Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said in that verse that there's two primary object objectives for the church, and that's building and battling. Building and battling. And the two always work together. Notice he said, I will build my church, and then the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So you can't, you can't, you can't put the, you, you can't have what Jesus said here without have these two components working together. In other words, it's not profitable to do battle unless you're going to build. And if you don't build first, you can't do battle. In other words, we can't build the, the church and we can't build the kingdom unless we're, going to go, unless we're going to go do battle for it. Yes, Satan is defeated. Yes, Jesus stripped him of authority. But we, the church, are the ones who have to enforce that victory. Can you say amen? So in terms of building the church or the kingdom of God, uh, we are going to be battling the forces of Satan. And uh, we interpret what Jesus is telling Peter uh, to us sometimes incorrectly when we see ourselves on the defense. So in order to maintain control uh, of the gates, sometimes we get this mindset, we have to maintain uh, as a stronghold, we have to make sure that uh, the forces of Satan don't, you know, prevail, and uh, in other words, we see we see Satan advancing us and coming to the gates to shake the gates, and that's not at all. If you read the Greek on this, and you, you'll see this is not at all what Jesus was trying to convey to his disciples. He said, "If Satan is not Satan is not advancing God's gates, he was talking about the church invading his gates." Sometimes we just thought, well, I, I guess what Jesus was trying to convey was we won't have to be concerned. We won't have to be worried. And no matter what Satan throws at us and throws the kitchen sink and this and that and wars and pandemics and all this kind of stuff, the church will be able to prevail and they, and they won't be able to storm down the gates of heaven. Jesus was not telling that. He, he, that was not even a theory to even to be supposed. He's saying, no, the church will invade. And the gates of hell won't be able to keep the church out. Amen. That's not defensive mode. That's not hunker down. Amen. 
That's now six, seven foot apart. Hmm? I'm doing better preaching than y'all doing amen and praise the Lord. So we want to see what Jesus meant there. So it's totally incorrect to have this defensive concept of the church. And Jesus, because he pictured the church on offense. In other words, he pictured the church, Jesus was saying to Matthew, he's picturing the church as we are the ones attacking the gates of Satan. And he promised that Satan's gates will not hold against the church. Satan's gates is losing this war right now. Do you, do you know how many people has not died from this? Many, many, many. And those who did contract it, some of them almost had symptoms that, you know, that was, that was the, so minor, they didn't even know they even had a common cold. Now, we're not discounting anyone. We don't want anyone you know, sick or nothing like this. We're not discounting anyone that has been sick or died from it. It's terrible to lose one person. But you understand our position, our posture as believers cannot be that we are just, we just need to be very protective. Yes, we're, do you understand what I'm saying by that? I'm not, I'm not saying, yes, we're, we're, wash your hands. Yes, you know, take protective measures. But our posture and our faith can't be in a place that we're just going to play from a place of defense. It's time for the church to go on offense. And the most powerful way that you can do that is the Word of God through prayer. Job says you decided you would decree a thing. To decree it, it has to be spoken. Part of that would be prayer, right? Jesus said, told us, he says, whatever you bind on earth, he says, heaven will back that up. Why? Because authority was transferred to the church. Hmm? Gee, uh, I didn't mean to go here, but it, it'll fit here. This kind of came up in me. In, in Brother Hagin's lifetime in ministry, he had eight visitations, uh, eight visions, open visions, where he saw Jesus and Jesus ministered to him uh, about his ministry as teacher and prophet. And uh, some of them might say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I'm not talking to you right now. But anyway, if you, but he, Brother Hagin said, he, he came and talked to me one time. And he said, uh, and what happened next to me, he said, changed my whole theology. He said, I was sitting there talking, listening to Jesus, what he was trying to tell me about my ministry in the next phase of the ministry. He said, and all of a sudden, this little, find out actually what was, you know, it was a little, I, don't, I, don't, I think he called it an imp, a little demonic spirit. He said, it, it was similar to like a small monkey. He said, it got between me and Jesus. And he said, uh, all the monkey would do, he says, he said, he got between me and Jesus. And he went, yakety yak, yakety yak, yakety yak, yakety yak, yakety yak. And, and it was, he said, it was so annoying that I couldn't hear anything Jesus was saying. And he said, then Jesus started speaking. And, the, and that, little, that little thing, that little demonic imp kept going, yakety yak, yakety yak, yakety yak, yakety yak, yakety yak. And he said, man, he's getting frustrated because he said, here's Jesus in the vision. He said, if you had a vision, would you want to hear if he came to you, would you want to know what he had to say? He said, but I can't hear anything because this little yakety yak, yak, yak demon. And he kept on looking at Jesus. He was frustrated, like, why are you letting this go on? So after the third time, he went, yakety yak, yak, yak. And Brother Hagin said, he said, just out of 
not conscious of doing it. He said, in the name of Jesus, he said, shut your mouth and get out of here. And he said, that thing fell over like, boom, and it whimpered. And he says, and it just walked out and he said, it just ran out of the room. He says, now that's not why I told you the story. He said, what happened next? He said, he said, upended my theology forever. And he said, looked at Jesus and, and Jesus said, I'm glad you finally did that. He said, because if you hadn't, I couldn't have. He said, he said, no, no, wait a minute. He said, he said, I, I misunderstood you. He said, you mean you wouldn't have? He says, no, I said I couldn't have. He said, now, Jesus, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I believe I'm having this vision. I believe I'm seeing you. But, you know, Brother Hagin was a stickler for the word. He says, now, I'm, I'm going to have to have at least, you know, the Bible said about two or three witnesses of this word. Let it be established. Jesus said, how about I give you four of them? He said, will that satisfy you? So he gave him four references of, of why if he hadn't done that, he couldn't have. Well, it all comes down to this in the sense of, does, does, can Jesus command a demon? Well, yes, he can. Does he have power over them? Yes, he does. But he gave the power to us, the church. So in this vision, he said, uh, so in the vision, he wasn't telling us what Jesus was telling about his ministry. The, the point of teaching this was just saying, this thing came in to go yak, 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 yak. And he, he was waiting for Jesus to do something about it. And Jesus said, if you hadn't done it, I couldn't have. He said, I've given you my word. I've given you the authority in my name. He said, if you hadn't exercised it, this thing would still be sitting here just going yak, 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 yak. So if you ever hear this, no more is going on all the time, yak, 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 you know, this confusion and all this uh, extra noise going on. <clears throat> Could you be got with them little hairy little imps, you know, just, I mean, they don't really have any power. Most of them are just principalities, which is the lowest, realest demon that there is in the kingdom of darkness. So you can get rid of the yakety yaks because you have the name of Jesus. But you have to go on the offense to do it. Amen. Amen. Y'all still here? Amen. And uh, he said, the, so the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now the gate is, um, the, the word gate, uh, it has a great deal of meaning. And the gate is the place of counsel and rule. Remember he said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And I'll just give you one place here it's used. For instance, you don't you not turn there, but it's Proverbs 31, 23. It says the husband, one translation said, it says the husband of an ideal and faithful wife. It says, it said her, this is the NIV, I think. It said her husband is, this is Proverbs 31, 23 in the NIV. It says her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Read again. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. And the gate here is where the elders ruled. And they sat and ruled and they administered the city at the, at the gate. The gate was a place of like a, we, we might call it a city council where they have a seat or we have someone on the state of representatives is called, you know, we, we send them to, to be seated uh, in the legislative or the Senate. So he said, when Jesus said, the, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That is where the church, the gate, that is where we're seated. That's where we rule and that's where we reign and that's where we administer the authority. So we got to get rid of this picture that 
Hell's coming with everything it has to throw at us. But Jesus said, don't worry. You know, I, I, I built the gate strong enough that they won't be able to tear it down. No, it's not them attacking our gates. It's us attacking hell's gates. Y'all all right? Amen. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. <clears throat> and I think many times we, we, we had this concept of like, man, I hope these gates hold. <clears throat> you, well, you, you're on the wrong side of the ball field. You need to go to the other side. You know, Jesus called you light. And he called the kingdom of gar- darkness dark, right? Satan's kingdom is called the kingdom of darkness. And, and we are the kingdom of light. We're called the children of light. Have you ever seen darkness put out light? You know, I've said this a million times, and you all may get tired of it, but someone never heard it. Charles Kepps always used to say this. He said, There's, you can't go into any building supply store. You can't go into Walmart, can't go anywhere and tell them, I need to buy a dark bulb. You can buy light bulbs, but you can't buy a dark. In other words, my house is so light, it just bothers me. I want to get some dark bulbs in it, and I want to extinguish the light. But they can put you in a dungeon. But if you got one match or a bick, and you, and you flick your bick, what happens? You get this little flame, and the most distinguishing thing in that whole dark room is what? The light. You're the light. So with one flick of the bick, you can extinguish all the darkness in the room. The gates of hell is not prevailing against the church. But no war has ever been waged and won while the church is sitting down in a posture mode of, don't come too close. No, it's time to go on the attack. I said it's time to go on the attack. And uh, so he said that's where uh, they would come and they would rule and they'd reign from that place. So Jesus said the gates of Satan will not prevail against the church, meaning Satan's counsels will not prevail against the church, but his will be brought to naught, which means zero. So when you attack a city, the most natural place to attack is the gates, and the gate is the, would be the weakest part of the city. It's not as fortified. And like I said before, I, my experience has been that most Christians live on defensive mode. I mean, you're, you're, you're seeing it worldwide. You're seeing fear. You're seeing pandemic. You're, I mean, you know, people are raiding the, the stores. In other words, you know, it's now begin to, you know, to settle down a little bit. Like, you know, man, is there any toilet paper in the world? You know, just, you know, it's just, it's just, yeah. I shouldn't say this is the whole world have diarrhea. I mean, praise the Lord. I mean, what's, I mean, what's going on? <laughs> You know, if we don't have any food, we won't need as much of it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, somebody put something on Facebook the other day. They said, you know, maybe you can figure out your dog's been doing it for years. You know, you know, you like you watch the dog scoot across the carpet, like, oh my gosh, you know, stop it, stop it already. <laughs> well, you got some grass in the lawn. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> I live out in the country. We can do all kind of stuff. Hallelujah. Be glad when she lets me come in, though. I'd just I'd be glad to get back in the house. <laughs> well, so it's time to put the boot on the other foot. It's time for us to go for his gates. So the devil needs. So the devil needs to be wondering instead of church warning. Oh, I, I, I wonder what's going to happen next. I guarantee you, when the church rises up and takes takes her place, and you take your place in Christ. 
The councils of hell say, I wonder where they're going to attack us next. I wonder where they're going to attack us next. I wonder where they're going to attack us next. Everybody in the world knows who Joel Osteen is, right? Y'all know who Joel Osteen is? Well, not everybody knew who his father was. John Osteen. Pentecostal. Word. Tongue-talking. Spirit-filled man. And, and John used to have a, uh, Pastor John Osteen used to have a, a reformed, delivered, saved, blood-bought, but he used to be a, I guess you'd call him a, a warlock in his church. And I mean, he was about as far into it as you could get. And uh, I mean, they would meet together and, and they, he says, oh yeah, we, he was telling Pastor John, yeah, we could do this and we could do that and we could attack this and we could attack that and we could, what you might call, cast spells. And he said one night with some demonic spirits, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing the story, but he said we went, to, he said these demonic spirits were, were going through this neighborhood. And he said that, and they were attacking this house. And they said, you know, bring confusion here and cause division in this house and divorce and this and that and the other. Bring sickness in here and bring poverty there. But they went to one house and when they said the demons, he said, when, he said, and I was there about in the spirit. He said, when we got to this one house, this is a man who was heavily involved. Uh, I don't know what his actual title would have been, but, uh, but later on he, he got delivered and saved and, Legions of devils came out and he said, we went to this one house to attack. And he said, and um, there was no physical lights on the house. He said, but they were in there praying. And this was, these were Christians who was praying. And there was such a light radiating from the house. They said that we couldn't get in the house. And as we, as we tried to get closer and closer on the property, he said it brought such intense pain and suffering to us. He said that we all just fled the yard. Amen. Now the house didn't, people in the house, I mean, I don't know who they were. I don't know that they knew that they were supposedly under some type of attack, but they were just being who they were. They were being light. They were being Christians. Amen. Amen. But the, Satan couldn't attack them. Why? Because they were on the offense. So <clears throat> let me give you a couple offense scriptures. Colossians 2 verse 15. We're going to go on the offense for just a moment. He said, And having spoiled principalities and powers... Talking about Jesus, he made a show of them openly in it. Colossians 2.15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly in it. The Amplified said, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were raged, raged against us, and he made a bold display and a public example of them in triumphing over them in it at the cross. Colossians 2 and I'm going to read this uh, 14 and 15. I was reading 15, but now I'm going to pick up 14 and 15 from the Passion Translation. This is really good. Colossians 2, 14 and 15 from the Passion Translation. He canceled out every violation we had on our record and our old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. And he deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Amen. Wow. In other words, if you, if you read it in context, he's talking about Jesus going to the cross. He took that which was against you. What was against you? The law. Which would be, you know, we, we, we were sin. Him who didn't know sin became sin. 
So he took that which was against us, our transgressions, our sins, that caused spiritual death upon us, and he took that which was against us and nailed it to his cross, and he paid the price for us, right? So he said he erased it all, that is our sins, and stained so, he deleted it all, and these things cannot be retrieved. He said everything we once were in Adam, we have been placed, everything that we once were, in Adam has been placed on the cross and nailed permanently. There, as a public display of cancellation, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all powers of principalities and darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority to accuse us. And Jesus led them around his prisoners in a possession of triumph. Wow. He said he led them around his prisoners as a possession of triumph. In other words, Jesus wasn't their prisoner. They became his. And he led them around, which is, you know, and if you go back to some of the, uh, the, well, in the old covenant, you'll see a lot of times when one nation was fighting against another, they would capture the king. They would strip him down to his birthday suit and humiliate him. They would parade him through the city, you know, defeated and chained. And uh, they made a public display of him. This is what Jesus did when he raised, from, when he was raised from the dead and he satisfied all claims of justice that was against us, the church. He nailed everything that was contrary to you that brought sickness and pain and death and would bring eternity of hell. He took everything that was against you and he nailed it to his cross forever. And it cannot be brought back. Cannot. It's permanently recorded that you are not guilty, that you are forgiven, that you are righteous in God, that you're the saint of God, that you're the holiness of God. And it's permanently written down and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in red ink with the blood of Jesus. And then Jesus took the, the demonic spirits in hell and he paraded him around throughout the world and made a public display of him. Does that sound like defense to you? I said, does that sound like defense? No. I mean, it, you know, it, just think about taking a football analogy. So here, here, here's, you know, whether it's the NFL or college. Lord, please let that happen this year. <laughs> anyway, just, so they, they call a play, right? And uh, quarterback, you know, he tells his wide receiver, he's going to go out there and then hook this way and, and I'll crit i catch across the middle. And the rider says, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of afraid. So what if I go out there and someone hits me? Well, if you in the NFL, you just became unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because uh, how many know if you're afraid to get hit in football, you've picked the wrong profession? Right? Now, in war, there's casualties, so there's going to be some hits. Have you all ever been hit before? Oh, come on, tell the truth. Y'all have been hit, hit, hit in life before? You ever got a gut punch before in life? You just like, you didn't see it coming and something just like took the wind out of you? Well, then you ain't lived very long. All, all that's coming. Let me tell you this. That's a temporary situation. That is a very temporary situation. And, you know, I, I always say it this way because I, I, I did this in the grocery store. I worked there 
for three or four years <clears throat> while I was going in high school. And part of my job a lot of times was just going shelf by shelf and we, and we had to pull off everything that's expired. You know, it has a date on it. it has, so it has a shelf life. So Paul said, if you can see this thing with your eyes, if you can touch it, you can feel it, you can hear it on the news, he says, know this. Anything in this life, he said, that you can touch, taste, feel, hear, smell with your senses, he said, is temporary. Man, it's got a shelf life. I'm telling you, it, it's, it, it's expired. And if the church will stand up and be the church and do what the church does, this thing will have an expiration date. It'll lose its oxygen. It won't be able to go forward. Oh, that was good news. Preach it, brother. Mm, hallelujah. Well, so we go, we put him on display. Second Corinthians 2 14 said, But thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. In Matthew 28, 1819 says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go there, go therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me. Go you therefore means this. Go and exercise on my behalf the authority that I have already won. Go is not defense. It's offense, right? Authority is only effective when it's exercised. Right? If we fail to exercise that authority that he commits to us, then it remains ineffective. I want to read to you, and we'll finish up this morning. I want to read to you a prophecy, um, if I can, by Brother Hagin. And you might, and uh, I'll give the year, and you might think, well, that didn't mean anything. Uh, the year was 1980. And yes, there were lights then, electricity. I graduated that year. But when the Spirit of God gives something out, see, a lot of times you can get a prophetical word and it doesn't match your day. Y'all ever noticed that before? Yeah. It doesn't. Usually it's, it's telling you for something of the future. That's generally what prophecy works. I mean, I mean I, I've had, you've had prophecies and I've had prophecies. I'm thinking, I don't, you know, I don't seem to get all that. Then I go down the road six months, a year, two years later, and it's like, oh, wow. That must be what this was about over here. Well, so when the, when the Spirit of God gives something out like that, and it begins to move where the spirit of prophecy is concerned, it's, uh, it's eternal. And it's relevant today. It'll be relevant tomorrow and the future. So in 1980, um, he was at Raymond Bible Church, and he spoke this word. He said, I can hear the Spirit of God within my spirit saying, you ought to give the most earnest heed to the things that you've heard today. For there are those who stand here who will shortly need the very things that, they, that have been spoken here. They'll stand in desperate conditions, and if they know not how to pray, they will almost be seemingly forsaken and forlorn because they did not assume their place and pick up their responsibility, and they did not enter into the prayer fight. There are those who will stand here today who will stand in need of what has been heard, and you will need it badly. Oh, you will need it badly, and you will need it greatly. There are those who stand here today that will not stand in this place again. Never will you be the same again. For you need desperately to get into the Spirit what is being taught about intercession. For you will need to, you will need to stand in need of it. Do not treat this lightly. Oh, dear Lord, it seems like they didn't 
say everything we could have said here. What is that other down there? Now you got to say he's he's prophesying this. This is why it sounds this way. Yes, there are lives that are here, and there are families that are here. That even though you did not know, that even though you did not know it now, darkness is trying to creep upon you. The enemy would endeavor to steal from you the blessing of God. The enemy would endeavor and would and will invade homes and lives and marriages. But to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Don't stop when you're praying because things seem to change a little bit. Keep on praying until you get the full answer, until it materializes. The entire burden lifts. Don't settle for a 50% victory. Don't settle for 75% or 90% victory or even, he says, don't settle for 99% victory. Settle for nothing less than 100% victory. Deliverance from darkness. And then I could hear, yes, that's it. That's it. I hear the Spirit of God within my spirit saying at the end of the age, at the end of the age is coming upon this generation. The powers of darkness, the forces of evil are rampant, will be as never before, and they will increase in intensity and they will increase in velocity. And even many Christians will see and look upon those things and say, there's no use. They'll throw up their hands in futility and say, it looks like it's all over. We'll just have to hold on and pray that Jesus will come shortly for the devil. Looks like he's going to take over everything. But thus says the Lord in this day, I am searching through the body of Christ to enlist soldiers in the army of prayer. And I will rise up a new band. And I'll rise up a new army that will know how to pray against the powers of darkness. And the light will dispel the darkness and the truth will set men free. And prayer will break the bands that binds men's minds and spirits and bodies. Yea, there are those that will learn to take their place and they'll take it hurriedly. It must be hurriedly. You must take it quickly. It must be that they learn, that they enter in quickly to stand against the force of evil that will come against the land at that time because they will come against the church and they will try to come against their homes. And they will disrupt, disrupt and destroy all that is good and all that God has endorsed. But the hand of the Lord is upon those who will listen and urge the uh, and urge of God. And the urge of God is in the spirit of those who are attentive. And the spirit of God will help you to pray. Don't try to do this by yourself. There there'll be though there must be labor on your part. Yet at the same time, rest in Him. And let the Spirit flow through you like a river. Like a mighty wave, let it flow through you. Give in unto those innermost groanings and let them escape your lips. Take time to get alone. And to get alone, wait. Sometimes not even say anything. But only on the inside of you there's an agonizing. It's flowing out of your spirit by the Holy Spirit to the great spirit, the Father of spirits. And there shall you be sustained. And there you will be kept. And our family and our homes will be sure and they'll be steadfast. And our children shall grow up strong and stalwart in the Lord and they shall have no fear. But you shall pray for your neighbor here and you'll pray for your friend there. And you shall pray for even those in the church that, that have not come into the knowledge of the truth, making sincere prayer on their behalf so that the light will shine. The word of God will go forth and the work is to be accomplished in the next few days and years that are just ahead of you shall surely become because you are faithful. 
That's what the Spirit of God is saying. Hallelujah. That was a spirit of prophecy that came upon him while he was ministering. And then he said, now I want you to close your eyes and I want you to lift your hand and say, and mean it from your heart, just don't do it because I tell you to, Lord, I'll be one of those that will enlist in the army of God. The army of prayer warriors, I'll be faithful. I'll be faithful in prayer. I'll be faithful in whatever place you set me in. But most of all, I'll be faithful in prayer. I set myself this day. I make the decision this day to be one of them. The Spirit of God can depend. You can depend on me, Lord. O blessed Holy Spirit, thou who dost live within me, you can depend on me. Then he had this confession. He said, prayer is the foremost business. Prayer is the main business. I give myself to prayer. My Father God hears me when I pray. He said in his word, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man will avail much. I am the righteous man. For him who knew no sin was made to be sin, that I, that I might be made the righteous of God in him. Therefore, I am the righteous of God to him. I am that righteous man or woman. I must see to it that my prayers are fervent, and I will be fervent. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. My prayers are working in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it funny how our prophecy in 1980 seems so relevant to our day? Amen. So, the, uh, Brother Higgins, uh, and I mentioned him a lot today for some reason, um, his favorite song, and I think they played it at his home going when he passed in 2003 and went to heaven, uh, the blood-bought church. And uh, it's really indicative much of what we minister today. You know, and we are the blood-bought church. You've been washed in the blood. And, he, and, I, and I, I didn't bring the lyrics to it, but you know, it talked about a mighty moving force that can't be stopped. So I want us just to be a little bit more cognitive in the sense of Yes, we're doing all the things, and yes, we want to respect, and yes, we want to comply, uh, you know, with uh, our leaders and our president and our governors and such as this. But as the church, we have to have we have to have a posture with our faith. We have to have a belief system that that goes beyond that because the government can't protect you from, from everything. And uh, <clears throat> okay, so you're gonna get a twelve hundred dollar check. Now you'll be debt free. <laughs> there you go, Nathan. All your problems over, you can retire. <laughs> and I, I think even my wife gets a check. I'm not sure, but I praise the Lord. <clears throat> and we're the faith to only have one wife. I, I, I couldn't do that many honey do, so I'm only going. I'm going to stay with her. I don't know some of the other faiths that have 10, 12, 15 wives, you know, if they get all those checks. But anyway, just, just kidding about that. But it's time, it's time to go to a place and take our place in Christ. We are the church. We are the church. And the gates of hell doesn't prevail against us. We, the church, we stand up and say, hell, we're coming right for you right now. Hell, we've seen what you've been doing. Not only in this nation, but the nations around the world. That must mean that you know that the end is so very near and you know that there's a great awakening that's going to go across the face of the earth. So you're trying to get there before we get there. Remember Herod? He knew the prophecy that a Messiah would be born, but he didn't know who it was. So what did he do? He, he gave a decree that every male child 
two years and old be killed because they didn't know who the Christ was. Well, if the devil was so smart, how come he didn't know who, which one was the Messiah? He wasn't even as smart as, the, as what we call the wise men. They went to the Scriptures and they found out the way to locate him without GPS. <laughs> they did. They knew the Scriptures and they knew where to go find him. Herod, with all his mighty force, couldn't do anything, so he had every male child, every male child killed two years down. Could you imagine what a bloody night that was? A horrifying thing to live through? That they would come in and take every male, if you had a baby, two years on male child, the instant death came. And we get a little bit upset because, like, the toilet paper is a little bit low. You know, Jesus was there, but he was forewarned. It's almost, it's almost like, it seems like God almost knows the future. It's almost like he thinks he knows everything. Right? I believe he does, don't you? Amen. So we are the church are, are not recoiling. We are advancing. Our posture is not a hunker down. Our posture is we, we rip gates down. Hmm? Our posture is we're coming for you, bud. That would work real good. We're coming for you. BL's a bub. Bubba. <laughs> BL's a bubba. <laughs> Amen. So I want you this week just to make sure when you go to prayer, do it in His name. Huh? Use the authority that's given you. You know, you can speak. Jesus said the words that I speak are spirit and life. Jesus gave commands from people that were miles away. A centurion said, My, I, I got one. He's, he's, at the, he's, he's dying. Jesus said, well, I'll come and heal him. He says, no, 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 no don't, don't do that. He said, man, I'm not even worthy. Jesus, I'm not even worthy that you would come under my roof. He said, I, I understand how this works. He said, you know, I have many people under me as a Roman soldier. He said, and, and all I got to do is say, hey, you go do this. Hey, you go do that. Hey, you go do this. And he said, they go do it. He said, but I can see your authority far exceeds my authority. Your authority comes from the heavens. So you don't have to walk this dusty road to my house. The authority that you have, all you got to do is just release words from your mouth. And when you do, he thinks things will change just that fast. Jesus said to a Roman centurion, not an Israelite, not, he says, that's great faith. He says, go home. He's healed. Huh? Jesus, you say, well, that was Jesus. Have you been listening today? All authority, all power I give unto you. And he's seated, and the Bible says, and we're seated with him in heavenly places. That means you are far above all principality and power and might and dominion and everything that's named. In the name of Jesus, this thing must bow its knee in the name of Jesus. So we're just going to tell the coroners of the world, right? This They say infectious disease. We cripple it right now. Come on. We cripple it right now in the name of Jesus. We attack you. We attack you in the. No, come on. I want some spunk up here. I mean, I ain't playing church with y'all. Don't, don't make me come out there within two foot. I'll kiss you right on the forehead if you don't watch it. Huh? Say in the name of Jesus. We take authority. The authority given to us in Christ Jesus. 
We're mighty conquerors in Him. We are the body of Christ. We have the power of Christ. The ability of Christ. In the majestic name of Jesus. We speak to this infectious disease. And we push you back. Back. Back to where you came from. Go back to where you came from. Which would be hell. We give you no authority. We give you no place. In our bodies. In our family. In our homes. In our children. In our cities. In our counties. In our state. In our nation. Or in the nations. We take authority over you. We suffocate you. Lose your oxygen source. In spirit of fear. And media. We suffocate your oxygen. We cut you off. We declare healing and health. Divine healing. Miracle signs and wonders. We call forth for our nations to be blessed. The people of God. The people of the nation. We bless the president and the administration who governs over the land. We declare you blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. It's an amazing day. It's amazing times that we're in. Stand up and be who Christ made you. You're our conqueror through Him. God bless you.